I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly, provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday. And I want to start you out with this thought. Uh, if no good deed goes unpunished, is that's what's happening on the streets of New York City, where you see illegal aliens described by the major media as just migrants, asylum seekers, so that you can feel properly sympathetic to what they're doing. And what do they do? They come into our country illegally. They go to big cities like New York, which happily diverts literally billions of dollars of resources that are supposed to go to benefit the people of New York City. And the people like Eric Adams, the mayor, say, oh, I'm sorry, we're going to have to divert these resources from actually doing things for you New Yorkers because we have to provide for all these illegal aliens. So they buy hotels, they rent hotels, they put the illegal aliens up. And in most cases, by all accounts, they trash the hotels. They're given walking around money. They're giving, given food to eat. They're given medical care, all at taxpayer expense. And then what do they do down on the streets of New York City? Well, we saw what they do. I haven't been in Times Square in a few years. It's a wonderful place to visit. Sounds like it's not such a nice place these days because four illegal aliens decided to literally and figuratively beat down to the pavement two members of the NYPD. So these four illegal alien thugs beat up a couple of cops. Now, they're quickly caught, but then what happens? They're booked, they're charged, and they're released without bail including one of them who's already wanted for two other crimes. He's already accused of committing two other crimes for assault and robbery. If that gives you a picture of what Joe Biden's invasion by illegal aliens of America is doing to this country, it should. And I hope that people start to wake up. I hope the people of New York and Chicago and Philadelphia and every other city in America say you are not going to divert resources from our tax money that we paid, that you stripped out of our paychecks so you can provide for people who disproportionately commit crimes in the great United States of America. Instead, you ought to send them home. But that's not what's happening in Joe Biden's America. And meantime, the U.S. Congress, maybe Republicans, have actually grown a backbone of some kind. They're preparing to impeach Mayorkas. And what's really comical is when you watch people like Hakeem Jeffries and others from the Democrat side of the aisle try to defend this idea. I mean, Hakeem Jeffries literally said, I'll play the soundbite later, but he literally said, no sensible person in America would believe that Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has actually allowed people to come into the United States of America. Now, I don't know how long they think they can get, a, get by with this gaslighting, saying, pay no attention to what your eyeballs are telling you, Americans. There are not millions of illegal aliens flooding into your country, and Mayorkas has nothing to do with it at all. Oh, really? Is that why the Biden administration went all the way to the Supreme Court to get the authority to cut the razor wire that Texas has been putting up on that border because Mayorkas and Biden are not doing their jobs? And guess what? I told you the other day, 
25 American states have already declared that they stand with Texas in this border mess and not with Joe Biden. And you've got Joe Biden's allies over on Capitol Hill still insisting, you know, like Baghdad Bob back in the day. Remember Baghdad Bob, the guy who stood there and did press conferences in Saddam Hussein's Iraq? And he denied he stood there on one day during that during that uh, conflict, during the time when Americans finally went to Baghdad and took out Saddam Hussein. I don't want to debate the war again. We've done that plenty of times. But you had Baghdad Bob standing there in front of the TV cameras saying there are no American tanks in Baghdad. And there were literally tanks within a few hundred yards of where the guy was standing. That that pretty well sums up Mayorkas and Biden and all his Democrat allies when they say border problem. Why, there's no border problem. Kamala Harris was the border czar. She solved that problem a long time ago. And if you believe that, you're probably voting Democrat this year. Welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to get your phone calls and your emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you're a naysayer, we, we have always put naysayers right to the head of the line every single time for the last 25 plus years. Or you can vote in our poll on X, what used to be called Twitter. Should state laws now require people to put their actual gender on their driver's license? Yeah, they should. My driver's license says male. Tina Larson's driver's license says female. You should actually have to identify yourself or what the heck is that driver's license for anyway? Well, now, Florida residents may not alter the gender marker on their license. That's according to the Florida Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles. And they say those who misrepresent their biological sex on a driver's license will be guilty of fraud and subject to criminal penalties, as it should be. But if you want to vote on the Twitter poll, should state law require people to put their actual gender on their driver's license? I'd say yes to that. You can vote any way you please. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on X. You'll find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. And always brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I joined a long time ago. You can join, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. Amax better, better for you and better for America. Let's go to the phones now. Let's start with uh, Kurt. Hey, Kurt, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, man, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well, sir. If uh, you know, I'm, Thank God I'm doing very well. What's on your mind? Uh, just Joe Biden in the Middle East. Yeah. Getting us into another war, or as uh, Joy Reid said on television on a hot mic, getting us un- into another effing war, except I don't curse, and she's a foul-mouthed woman. We'll be in the next war in the next six months. Do you think so? What America needs to do is put up the borders. We have enough food and enough fuel to take care of ourselves, and I say it to heck with NATO. Well, this the Middle East isn't NATO. NATO's the uh, the Euro- European countries for the most part. But what would you do in the Middle East, especially when people like the Houthi terrorists have shown their capability to stop not only American warships but American uh, commercial shipping from going through the Red Sea? That's a big choke point for much of the world's commerce. What do we do about that? Really, you don't want to hear that, right? What's that? 
You want to hear that, right? Do I want it? I don't, I'm not telling you what to say. I'm just saying that even Thomas Jefferson had to send U.S. Marines to the Middle East when it started to threaten American shipping and American lives. So what do we do with the Middle East? I'm not anxious to get into a Middle East war, but I don't know what to do when you have threats to Americans there. There's a lot of threats to Americans there. We shouldn't be there. And I think they should turn the whole Middle East to glass. Well, that's an, that, that would probably solve the problem. I'm not sure the rest of the world would accept it, but, Kurt, I appreciate the call. It's a Wednesday. It's the Lars Larson Show. It's honestly provocative radio on a daily basis at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. We'll be back in just a moment. Larson Show live at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I have to tell you something. People think that I'm against solar power. They say you're against wind power. And I say, no, I'm a technology guy. I love the idea of new technology if it, with two criteria. One, if it works. And two, if it pencils. And people always say, well, what does that mean if it pencils? I said, well, if somebody offered me uh, to sell me a machine that made gasoline for my car, well, I can buy gas in my neighborhood for about, it's now up to about three bucks, maybe three fifty a gallon. If somebody said, I'll sell you a machine, they, I said, well, how much does it cost? And they said, what difference does it make how much it costs? It produces gasoline out of thin air. I'd say, well, it, it, depending on what I spend on the machine, if I'm effectively paying five or, or ten dollars a gallon for gasoline out of the machine, it makes no sense to buy that machine. To me, windmills and solar are the same thing. They say, gosh, you get the fuel for free. It's the sun or it's the wind. The problem is, depending on the cost of the, the actual capital cost to buy the windmills or to buy the solar cells and their lifespan, because it is limited, and we're finding out it may be more limited than we thought, um, and the fact that you have to buy three times as many. I thought I'd ask Mark Morano about that. He's the author most recently of Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is the Wrong Solution to the Wrong Problem. Mark, every time a, a solar enthusiast calls me, I say, I like solar if it makes sense f uh, economically. I said, the, the, but the first problem is, if I'm a community and I need, say, 100 average megawatts of electric power, that's how they build power plants, 100, 500, 1,000 average megawatts. If I need 100 average megawatts of solar, I have to buy 300 because, whether you've noticed it or not, the sun shines about one-third of the day. And if it's a windmill you want me to buy, if I need 100 average megawatts, I need 300 megawatts of wind generation because the wind only blows about eight hours, about one-third of every day. 
And that that objection alone, you'd think, would be enough to knock down the idea that green energy is going to replace fossil fuels, which now provide, I think, the number is 62 percent of America's grid. So if you want to get rid of that 62 percent and use no fossil fuels, what are you going to replace it with? We haven't done all, all, all that well with solar and wind, have we? No, we haven't. And here's the interesting thing. You'll keep hearing people saying, well, solar is growing by leaps and bounds. Well, first of all, if you have a penny and you keep doubling or tripling it, you're still talking cents, a few cents compared to the dominance. Now, total energy production, a little bit different than the grid, 80-plus percent is from fossil fuels in the U.S., and a little bit more than that is global. Wind and solar combined make only 3.8 percent of total energy production in the United States, and that's as of 2019 figures. And what the Green New Deal is striving to do is essentially make a carbon-free world, a car, you know, it, it literally eliminate all nuclear, uh, sorry, eliminate all fossil fuels within the next 10, 12, 15 years, depending on which you know, plan you're looking at. But it's a pure fantasy for all the reasons you just outlined, Lars. And one of the things they'll say is, well, this is going to be a green jobs program, solar employees and wind employees, so many more. <laughs> well, first of all, why would you want an energy source? that employs so many people but doesn't produce energy. And the only reason it can employ those people is because of subsidies, tax breaks, and government uh, mandates. If you take away any of those three, it starts falling apart. And we saw this. We had a boom in in so-called renewable energy during Obama's green stimulus, the tens of billions of dollars that went to companies like Solandra and others. So that was, uh, you know, after 2009 and 2010 when they passed that. Once that evaporates, then you start looking at the data. For every coal worker, every coal worker produces a unit of energy. It takes one coal worker to produce, I think it was 67 units of energy. In other words, 67 solar workers had to work to produce the same amount of energy as one coal worker. And it's a similar number for oil and gas. And this is the key. Fossil fuels are proven, reliable, and the technology of fracking has allowed the United States to meet all of our you know, if you cared, all of our U.N. Paris agreements, we're actually the lead country in the world dropping CO2 emissions because of technological advancements from fossil fuel emissions. But what they want to do is turn solar and wind into the go-to energy source. And you're right, you shouldn't be opposed to solar and wind because we should be open to all new energy and technology. But you should be suspicious when it's forced upon the public through politics, through the threat of a climate emergency, so we have no choice. And that is part of this fraud where we're going to end up with unreliable energy that produces very little energy and costs that are going to soar. Now, if technology is ready to take over, Al Gore says entrepreneurs are going to make so much. Great. Then why do we need mandates, all these subsidies? Why do we need um, all of this government action to push it? Why not just let wind and solar start growing and that's what we're trying to that's what we're trying to say so you don't want to fight any particular energy source but the bottom line is wind and solar are not ready for prime time they do well, not have the storage capacity batteries aren't there they can't like you're saying that the you know, wind and so the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine where are almost all the solar cells installed in america made where are they manufactured where's the money made they're all made in china or parts of asia aren't they they are. And in fact, the, the, the batteries, too, for electric cars, it's either Chinese company, Chinese location or Chinese-owned companies in places like Asia or Africa. And what's happened is we are trading in 
As I mentioned earlier, Harry S. Truman, American energy, not even independence, we are dominant, world's largest producer of oil and gas in the world. Of course, that's the first thing Joe Biden went after, We're trying to ban fracking, continuing snuffing out any coal, forgetting all new mining. I mean, so we are going to now be, instead of being energy dominant, we are now going to go back to endless wars fighting for fossil fuel, oil, Middle East. The book is called Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is the Wrong Solution to the Wrong Problem. Its author is Mark Morano. Mark, it's a pleasure as always. Thanks so much for the time. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LAW. I hate it when we get technical problems, but occasionally we do. That, has, that does happen. Let me jump to some calls, though. Let's go to Steve from Newcastle. Hey, Steve, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, thanks for this opportunity. I'd like to make an important point, but first let me say, uh, please don't stop exposing the medical industry, our governors, and the Department of Health for their abusing their roles in forcing mRNA inoculations on people. Uh, in 2021... I'll be glad to do that, as, as long as you know my bias in that case, because I chose, I made a considered and I think educated decision not to take the jab. And uh, other people have asked me about it. I tell them, you have to make a great decision for yourself. My decision was made for me uh, based on what I knew. And you know what? Ever since I made that decision in the early part of 2021, I have not regretted it, not one little bit. Well, that's great. But people say, make that decision with your doctor. But, but what I learned in 2021 when I was in the hospital with Guillain-Barre, waiting to undergo a plasma exchange, I was debating with a Ph.D. neurologist, my neurologist, as to why I wasn't inoculated, why I didn't take the MRA. That was more important to him than my care at that time. And the point that I want to make is that these medical professionals are not healthcare professionals. If you want healthcare professional and you want a, a, a opinion where people aren't going to lie to you, talk to a naturopath because they will talk to you about repurposed drugs, they'll talk to you about natural immunity, and they won't lie to you, and that's exactly what the medical industry continues to do let me give you let me give you another reason to be careful about doctors because we had a few doctors that we talked to some on the air some not on the air and they were all good you know standard gps and one of them told me he said lars i won't say this on your show but he said i've had pregnant women who are my patients longtime patients who asked me should i take the shot a couple of years ago and he said i told them because it's his right to practice medicine and to give them good advice. And he said, I can't tell you it's a good idea. We don't know what it might do to your unborn baby. But he said, Lars, if I say that on your show, I will lose my license. And they did it to other medical professionals. So when you have a system that says, if you don't stick with the mainstream, if you don't go along with what the government is telling doctors to say, we will take the doctor's license, we will take them out of the equation. In that kind of environment, I don't think you can trust it. Coming up in a moment, we'll talk about what's going on in Texas and whether or not the law supports Joe Biden or Texas Governor Greg Abbott. That's next on The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Five people with disabilities. Because- 
because you can't get enough Lars. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I didn't get too many naysayers when I said that I thought Texas was absolutely right and within its rights, legal and constitutional, to do what they did in putting up razor wire and trying to enforce their own border, which Joe Biden's federal government has refused to do, despite constitutional guarantees that I think are rock solid when it comes to the obligation of the federal government to protect the states against invasion. So I thought we'd talk about the legal issues a bit with Mark Miller, who's a senior attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation. Mark, welcome to the program. And as always, I advise people, I'm clearly not an attorney. So thanks for coming on. Always a pleasure to join you, Lars. So let's start with a simple one. Is Governor Greg Abbott of Texas within his rights to do what he has done uh, in trying to safeguard his state against this illegal alien invasion that now totals 10 million people in the last three years? Well, I think that, you know, with that lead up, it's difficult to um, to know what answer to give you other than what I think you're looking for. But I agree with you. I think that as things stand now, Governor Abbott has been squarely within the law. And I don't think, unlike what some uh, liberal Democrats have tried to say, that Abbott somehow is flouting a Supreme Court order. That hasn't happened yet. I don't know that Abbott ever will do so. Right now, he's simply trying to prevent the flow of immigration into the state The fact that the Supreme Court said a little over a week ago that the federal government can cut the razor wire doesn't mean Abbott can't put up more and put it back up if he wants. And and so right now, I think it's mostly a political fight, not a legal fight, um, because Abbott, I think, is uh, being careful to stay within the law, but also try and push the outer boundaries of the law. Mark, what I'm curious about is last week we saw the president of the United States literally threaten the state of Texas. I mean, to see any president threaten any state the way he did and lay down a deadline of the next day, I think it was either Thursday or Friday was the deadline, and the deadline passed without much notice at all. We noticed it, and we said, hey, the president's deadline has elapsed. Now what happens next? Because with Joe Biden, there seems to always be a threat, but not actually a follow-through. But was the president within his rights to threaten a state and say, you better knock off what you're doing and give that park, Shelby Park, in Eagle Pass, Texas. Give it up to the Border Patrol or else. And as one of my producers said, or else what? And I guess we found out, or else nothing. And, and I agree with you. I think, you know, whether you're a businessman or a lawyer, you know, if you make uh, an ultimatum, you better be prepared to follow through. And Biden's folding uh, sort of makes it clear that he knows he didn't really have a legal basis. If he did, his solicitor general, his top lawyer, would have run to the Supreme Court and somehow tried to take the park back from Abbott. But really, it was basically a lot of saber rattling. What's unfortunate is not only do you see what happened and I see what happened and the country see what happens, but also our foreign adversaries see that Biden makes threats that he doesn't follow through on. Well, and can you imagine the reaction? Because... I mean, one of my one of the things, and I don't expect you to get into politics here with the Pacific Legal Foundation. You probably got some limits uh, as to how much political advocacy. But I've said, you know, when Joe Biden transmits to the world, uh, we're going to pull out of Afghanistan to disastrously get Americans killed and Americans trapped and leave behind billions. Uh, when when he communicates, well, if Russia just has a small invasion, which he was saying almost two years ago to a reporter, then maybe we'd have to take. Some action he effectively invites that 
you know, and then, and then he transmits weakness that even within his own country, he can't tell an individual state what to do. And I suspect there are people in the Middle East and other places that don't know the relation, you know, the way the relationship is supposed to work between our federal government and the states. The federal government is supposed to stay within its enumerated powers. Everything else goes to the states. So we don't expect presidents to tell states what to do. But when they do, like you said, if you don't have a follow through, you're telling everybody on the planet, you're not you're not much, are you? And, you know, and it's not a political issue. You know, I agree with you for sure. I appreciate you Lars, pointing out that I'm, I'm at a nonpartisan law firm, but it's more a matter of how we negotiate it, it, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or just as a businessman or a lawyer. If you say you're going to follow, you're going to do something. If X, Y, Z doesn't happen, then you better do it. It doesn't send the right message to the world. It also doesn't reflect the way a governor and the you know, chief executive of the country should be working together. And you can say, both sides perhaps are a little bit at fault, but when we look at the open border and how it's uh, impacting the entire country, we can see that, again, it's a bipartisan issue. You've got Democrat mayors in New York City, uh, got Democrat governor in Illinois crying uncle, and yet the administration is not trying to suppress the uh, flow of immigration at, at the level that I think most Americans expect. And so you end up in the situation where the governors, not just Abbott now, but you know, I think it's almost half the country's governors have said, Biden, you need to do something or we're going to send our National Guard uh, guardsmen down there, too. And you would hope President Biden could reach up, you know, at it as well and, you know, be trying to be high minded. And let's let's say, OK, the country wants immigration turned off and let's try and solve the problem, not the adversaries, because we are all Americans. I got to tell you something, though, Mark. I'm the kind of person who would rather see them go with the Sean Connery untouchables rule. When they bring a knife, you bring a gun. Well, you know, in some ways, and I this is why I, I should not be a lawyer ever, um, is that I'd be saying to Greg Abbott, well, when those border agents, even though they got the, the you know, the say so from the, the Supreme Court to cut the razor wire. Why don't we go out and arrest every border agent uh, that cuts the wire for destruction of public property and throw them in the hooskow? But then again, I, I'm not the lawyer for Greg Abbott either. Well, that is his, that is his theory. I mean, literally, that's, you, you just, you know, you're not a lawyer, Lars, but you just said exactly what the legal theory is. Abbott is saying that when the federal government cuts the razor wire, it is uh, violating their property rights. They are basically uh, trespassing on state property, that razor wire being the state property. The Supreme Court, at least for now, has said, we're not convinced on that. We're going to allow the cutting of the wire to, to continue. And ultimately, when you get back to the law, black and white law, the last time the Supreme Court really addressed immigration in the state versus federal level, I'm sure you remember well, it wasn't that long ago, a little over a decade ago, Was Arizona tried to challenge yep. Yep, the Arizona case. And federal government, the Supreme Court ruled five to three in favor of the, the Obama administration at that time. And, and basically, well, but, uh, but Mark, is yeah. that one a little bit different in the sense that Arizona was saying we will enforce not our own laws like Abbott. We will enforce the federal law that Obama refused to enforce. And they said, no, you don't have the wherewithal or you don't have the, the legal authority to enforce federal law. So you can't. Wasn't that the gist of the of the uh, of the the argument or the win? For, for Obama? There was, there was also, yeah, there was also state, Arizona had passed some new laws. The legislature had passed ah. some new laws to try and intercept immigrants. But you are right. Actually, the bottom line is it is a little different. What I'm proposing, though, is that the Supreme Court, since it took this up on sort of an emergency basis, 
probably has in the back of their mind, at least the five justices who ruled in favor of the federal government, that at least as things stand, the Arizona case is the most recent sort of meaningful precedent. And we're going to stick to that until Texas convinces us this is different. Obviously, the four justices who would have uh, you know, told the federal government not to cut the wire, they do think it's different from the Arizona case. So you're standing with four justices out of nine in saying that you think this is different. Yeah, and I, and I do think it's a bit different. And, and frankly, I don't really want to get sideways with the Border Patrol agents. I admire what they do. And I noticed that the eight, the union that represents the border agents has already said, look, we agree with the people who want to enforce the border. We don't agree with Biden, which I thought was also an extraordinary thing. The representatives of the border agents say they don't agree with their boss, but they're part of a par- paramilitary organization. So when the boss says jump, you say how high, right? That's exactly right. Uh, Lars, you, you may or may not know this, but for the last three years before I came back to Pacific Legal, I was Christy Nome's chief of staff and general counsel. And what Governor Nome saw when she went down to the border multiple times is despite the fact that the federal government under Biden and the state National Guardsmen may have been looking at things differently, the bottom line was the uh, Border Patrol, the National Guard, the National Guard all work very well together. Yep, they do. That's Mark Miller from the Pacific Legal Foundation. Mark, thanks very much. It was not pleasurable at all on Monday to talk about the fact that three U.S. servicemen were killed in a drone attack in Jordan, and a couple of dozen other service members were wounded, five of them badly enough that they had to be airlifted out to Landstuhl, Germany, all the way from Jordan, simply because their wounds were so severe after that drone attack. So one of the perfect people to talk to is Captain Hunkow, retired now, but is running to replace Virginia Senator Tim Kaine. Captain Cow, welcome back to the program. Lars, thank you so much for having me back. Now, because of your military experience, I want to ask you this. I mean, what, what's the right direction to go? Because there's part of me that wants to hit Iran and hit Iran hard after, I think now, 165 or 166 different attacks by different groups, all of them seemingly backed by Iran. But another part of me says... I don't want to see America get sucked into a Middle East war on top of the Ukraine war and with the pending possible war with China. So where do we go with this, Captain? No, you're absolutely right. So I, I served in 25 years for in the Navy Special Operations. So I was in places like that in, in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan and Somalia. And here's the thing. Let's contrast what happened four years ago with what happened here. When the Houthis were, were acting up, what did Donald Trump do? He launched a precision strike against the Quds Force commander, General Soleimani. This guy was supposed to be the heir apparent to the uh, Iranian presidency. And it was so precise with such low collateral damage that the vehicles around him were unharmed. And all we can find from him, from that crater, was his hand with that red ring. Remember? Yep. I do. And and by the way, weren't there predictions after that strike? Well, now you're going to get trouble because of what you've done. And as I recall, we didn't see much of anything in the way of a response because Iran had been set back in its place. Am I wrong in assessing it that way? No, of course not. No, you're absolutely right. They what they ended up shooting down their own airliner. Remember, they they shot yep. down an airliner thinking it was a missile that came into the United States, and we're like, nope, that's not us. But there's a lot of non-attributional things we can do, uh, honestly, to to really just 
stomp them. We can't do what Biden does is like, well, we'll reduce their capabilities by 20%. No, we need to take them down to the ground. And that, what I mean them, I mean talking about the Houthis, like level that whole place. And then also these collection ships. So every time they launch these drones against these uh, the commercial vessels, there's a an Iranian uh, ship out there that's that's kind of targeting in for these drones. And so we need to do something about it. Like, oh, what happened to your ship? I don't know why it sank. There's a lot of non-attributional things we do that, that can be done. We have the ability to do it. We just don't have the will because our commander-in-chief is spineless. Well, and in fact, he seems to transmit that kind of message all the time. I mean, he came out yesterday and said, we've figured out a response. And I'm not expect. I don't want him to tell the bad guys what's coming at them, just the same way Obama used to tell the bad guys in in uh, in Iraq what was coming at them. Sometimes months ahead of time. I don't think it's a good idea to let your your opponents know what's going on. But on the other hand, I, I kind of expect that this will be like uh, Joe Biden's fight with Texas. Well, we're going to do something, and then he doesn't say anything more. I, I prefer the uh, strength, you know, that the Donald Trump had uh, to say, okay. Uh, and you act and then you tell the public what you did and why you did it in the in the mold of Ronald Reagan. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, the world around us is burning. Right? I mean, we got uh, like you said, there's war in Ukraine, war in Israel. The Chinese are rattling their sabers against your your birthplace right in Taiwan. Yeah, and then right. the North Koreans are launching the, 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 the Korean, North Koreans are launching ICBMs that can strike the United States. The, the Iranians are running rampant in the Red Sea. And what does Joe Biden do? He's picking a fight with Texas, threatening to send F-16s and mobilizing the National Guard. Like, whose side are you on? You know, I'm, I'm sick and tired of this. Like, this, your viewers need to go to polls this November and vote. But do you want to vote for strength, prosperity, and peace? Or do you want to vote for World War III? Because that's what the two candidates are, are offering. Donald Trump's giving you prosperity and peace, and, and Joe Biden's going to burn this place to the ground. And by the way, I'm talking to retired Captain Hung Kao, uh, 25 years in special ops for the U.S. Navy, and he's running to replace Virginia Democrat Tim Kaine in the U.S. Senate. Has your opponent had anything much to say about any of this? So we call him uh, election time Tim Kaine, right? He's been silent for years, and now that he sees that I'm, I'm, I'm really edging up against him, he's scared. And so he's, he's saying, well, we need more oversight of the you know, the president can't just do unilateral uh, uh, actions without asking Congress. Really? You, now now you're coming out with that? Like, after all these years of Joe Biden just befumbling everything? Like, Tim Kaine, look, nobody remembers what he did except in Virginia. He got stuck on I-95 during a snowstorm with a bottle of Dr. Pepper. And he's <laughs> Hillary's uh, running mate, right? I mean, that's all to remember. The guy's kind of a goofy dude that, that he, 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 you know, people, like, don't hate him or don't like him. This guy, meh. But behind the scenes, the guy is, you know, a communist through and through that's, that's voting 100% with Joe Biden. I mean, he was trained in Honduras with the, the Sandinistas. But I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, just go look it up. He, he spent his youth in, in this, uh, Honduras, uh, you know, working with Sandinistas. So it's in his um, mindset. Well, and it doesn't sound like he was trained very well. If you And I do remember when he got stuck on the freeway with a bottle of Dr. Pepper. Don't you special ops guys, and God bless all of you, but don't you say two is one and one is none, and here's this guy stuck out on a freeway with a bottle of pop? I mean, it doesn't sound like he knows how to run his own life, let alone be a U.S. senator. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So my every car in my house has a go bag, 
We have food. We so have ways mine. to make fire. We have all sorts of stuff. That <laughs> it's just it's just preparedness. It's not I'm not a prepper or anything. It's just being prepared, right? I mean, the yep. the Boy Scouts motto is uh, you know simple, uh, you know, always prepared, and and that's what we do. We we make sure that that we're always ready for everything. And if Tim Kaine's not ready for for a snowstorm, then he sure as heck is not ready to lead this country. Cam Cow, tell me this, and, and by the way, I have go bags in my car too, and IFAX and everything else, for the same reason I have a spare tire. I haven't put a spare tire on a car in 20 years. doesn't matter. I'm not leaving home without a spare tire in the trunk. But tell me this, I want my audience to be able to help you out in your campaign to beat Senator Tim Kaine and replace him in the United States Senate. How can they best help you out, and where can they find you on online? Oh, thank you so much. Yes, they can go to hungforva.com, so H-U-N-G-F-O-R-V-A.com, and they can see what we stand for. And we stand for the American people. Look, I came here as a refugee from Vietnam, and this country gave me everything. That's why I served for 25 years to repay this nation. I'm not done fighting for America. I'm not done fighting for you guys. And so this is what we need. And, and unfortunately, Tim Kaine was the bag man for the DNC, right? He was the chairman. Yeah. And so it's going to take money to get your voice out there. Your voice that says enough. We're all about God, family, and country, and not about you know special interest groups or lining your pockets. Absolutely well said. Captain Cow, thanks for your service in uniform, 25 years in special ops, and thanks for running against Tim Kaine. Virginia, the Commonwealth certainly deserves better, and we appreciate your time. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Captain Hung Cow with us. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers go to the head of the line. You can check out our Instagram feed. And, of course, you can always tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Healing power. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I got to tell you something. One of my favorite expressions from a now long dead politician, the guy who was the mayor of Philadelphia, Frank Rizzo. He was also the police chief. And by all accounts, he was tough as nails. And he used to like to say a conservative is a liberal who just got mugged. Now, it's kind of a pithy statement because you say, gosh, you mean somebody who's a liberal, somebody who says, oh, we should look out for the rights of the accused and we should make sure that we go as easy as we can on those criminals. After all, you know, they didn't have good childhoods and all that. And all it takes is a good mugging. And by the next day, they're talking about voting Republican. They're talking about throw those guys in jail and throw the book at them. I thought of that. When I saw the news that broke late today about the governor, Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York. And what is she saying now? Now, remember, this is the same Kathy Hochul, who now, about a year and a half ago, was saying, you know, we are a sanctuary state, and we welcome all. And then she cites the poem that was a fundraising poem on the base of the Statue of Liberty. And they say, you know, we accept all of them. 
It didn't take too long or very much for illegal aliens to invade the city of New York as they've invaded the rest of America, thanks to Joe Biden, to say, you know what? We're not a sanctuary city anymore, although she hasn't exactly said that. But she said, you can't keep sending all these illegal aliens to us. As though Kathy Oakle thinks that somehow all those illegals allowed in by her buddy Joe Biden were simply going to stay in Texas and Georgia and Mississippi and Louisiana. Well, guess what's happened now? I've talked about these two cops who got literally and figuratively beat down to the pavement in Times Square in broad daylight in front of witnesses and on camera. And what happened to them? They were arrested, charged, booked, and then promptly released on zero bail, even though one of them already had pending assault and robbery charges. And then he beats up a cop along with a bunch of other people, allegedly beats up a cop. And what does Kathy Oko say today? This is absolutely delicious. These liberals are getting what they deserve. The governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, is caught by reporters who ask her, you know, we've got conservatives and Republicans who are saying that if you get caught beating a cop, you ought to be deported, especially if you're already here illegally. And do you know what Kathy Hochul governor of New York said, I think that's actually something that should be looked at. Now, I'm going to suggest there's a little bit of double standard here as well, but I think this is fantastic. The rest of her quote, I mean, if someone commits a crime against a police officer in the state of New York and they're not here legally, those words came out of her mouth. It's the kind of words conservatives say all the time. It's definitely worth checking into. These are law enforcement officers who should never, under any circumstances, be subjected to physical assault. It's wrong on all accounts, and I'm looking to the judges and prosecutors to do the right thing. You know, it almost sounds like Kathy Hochul, governor of New York, who is, of course, a Democrat, uh, is ready to sign up for the Republican Party, or at least, at least to become a real conservative. I mean, she's not all the way there for sure, but this is a sign to me. And the fact that they're having to eat their own words, this, I, I remind you, will dig up the soundbite for tomorrow. Kathy Hochul, the one who was saying, oh no, we're a sanctuary for illegals. I mean, these are the kind of people who put those goofy multicolored signs in their front yards that say, all are welcome here. You know what I kind of wish? I kind of wish that Ron DeSantis or Governor Abbott of Texas would start sending busloads of people to neighborhoods that have those signs out there. I understand the spirit in which people are offering it, but they literally don't mean it literally. They don't. They, they like to put the sign out front. It has all these colors. And, you know, we don't discriminate based on immigration status or legal status or criminal status or anything else. You don't until the bad guys show up in your front yard. And at that point, Kathy Hochul and the rest of these jokers change their tune entirely. Now, all of a sudden, it's, well, why don't we just deport these people? Well, I'll tell you what. If you want to deport those guys, here's where the double standard comes in that I see. I consider crimes committed against police officers some of the worst crimes around. But what Kathy Hochul is effectively saying is, well, if all these illegal aliens do is assault the state of New York, if all they do is commit crimes and rape 
and murder and rob if all they do is when we put them up in a hotel at taxpayer expense and feed them at taxpayer expense and put walking around money in their pockets at taxpayer expense as long as they don't assault a cop if they're just assaulting everybody else in my state she doesn't call for their deportation now i understand Uh, all i'm saying is that when you assault a cop yes it's bad but Kathy Hochul should be looking out, and every other one of these liberal blue state governors should be saying, I want the best protection for all my citizens, not just for the ones who draw a public paycheck. That's not casting aspersions on the cops. And I think every cop who's listening would probably agree. I mean, do you think that when crimes against citizens are being ignored, especially when they're being committed by people who have no right to be here and should never have entered the country to begin with and certainly should be sent home as fast as they possibly can be. And when Joe Biden is unwilling to do it, he's willing to go all the way to the Supreme Court and ask for permission to cut the wire to let more of these jokers into our country. And Kathy Hochul refuses to call out Joe Biden. And Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, refuses to call out Joe Biden. And the mayor of New York, all of them Democrats, refuse to call out the one single person in all of the United States of America who could actually act to stop this problem. I mean, he could do it tomorrow. Now, it wouldn't fix the 10 million or so who've already come into the country. That's a problem that Donald Trump promises to fix on day one and start the biggest deportation in American history. And now all of a sudden, you know, I would love it if President Trump would call out Kathy Hochul. I wish President Trump, because he certainly doesn't hold his opinions back, I wish President Trump would say to Kathy Hochul, hey, it sounds like you've joined the winning team. Why don't we get together and we'll do a joint message in front of cameras in which I say, I want illegal aliens deported. I wish Donald Trump would say this. And then, Kathy, it seems you want some illegal aliens deported. And then hold her feet to the fire, metaphorically, of course, and say, you you want these four illegals who beat down the cops deported and have Donald Trump say, I'm completely in favor of that. How about we deport a few million other illegal aliens that your buddy Joe let in? And tell Kathy Hochul, if you really want this problem solved, call the White House. And if the White House won't take your call, then call a press conference and have you and Eric Adams and uh, Johnson, the guy who's head of Chicago and the mayor of Philadelphia and Muriel Bowser down in Washington, D.C., have them all join you at the White House and say, we're all agreeing together. Donald Trump and his four favorite mayors demanding that Joe Biden do something about this invasion of America back in a moment. Glad to get your calls. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. political climate. He's the steamroller. This 
is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I saw a brand new poll out this week that says just shy of two-thirds of Americans, 64%. So it's only two points shy of that. Say that they are barely getting along. Barely, They're making it paycheck to paycheck. And that includes even in the group above 75000 income uh, that they uh, a sizable percentage, about 53% of them say they're just getting by paycheck to paycheck. So I thought I'd throw those numbers at Akash Chogli, uh, who's vice president of Americans for Prosperity and a good friend of the show. Akash, welcome back. Thanks for having me back on, Lars. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well, except that I guess I'm a little confused that Joe Biden is able to gaslight America so well, run around and say, no, the economy is going great when your eyes and ears can tell you it's not. Well, the thing is, he's half right, but the part that he's half wrong about is the one that the vast majority of the American people care about, which is affordability, right? There are plenty of metrics and pie charts and line graphs and things like that that the White House can trot out there on unemployment rates and, you know, all these other things, you know, rate of inflation. Um, But the number one thing people are concerned about is affordability. And the fact of the matter is prices are up almost 20 percent since President Biden took office for the vast majority of his time as president. People's wage growth has not kept up with the price increases they're facing, and that's why the economy remains their number one issue. They disapprove of the president's handling, and the reason they disapprove of it is because they understand that the trillions and trillions of dollars in wasteful spending is what got us here. I think we all remember when that horny hick from Arkansas used to have the snake man, uh, what's his name, uh, advising him, it's the economy, stupid. And they were right. The economy matters. Will it matter enough that a sizable percentage of Americans will vote based on their pocketbooks when it comes to November? You know, I, I think that's a $64,000 question. And unfortunately, one of the ways that that doesn't happen, uh, frankly, is, a, is for this election to become about Donald Trump. And it seems like everything Donald Trump touches becomes about Donald Trump. He uh, is an absolute repellent to independents, moderate swing voters, suburban women. You know the deal. Uh, and so it's going to be an uphill battle. Now, his numbers look OK against Biden right now. Um, but, you know, how they might look in a general election after seven months of President Trump out there doing and saying the things that he does that repel these people. I don't know if Republicans can do two things. One, make the election about Joe Biden and make clear, number two, that they have a solution to these issues. I think the Democrats are in a lot of trouble, but those are obviously big, big ifs. Well, you know that we're up against the fact that the mainstream media will try to make it about Donald Trump because, number one, they're fascinated with the guy, uh, repelled or not. And number two, they understand he's good for ratings, whereas bashing Joe Biden, I think, goes against the individual preferences of the men and women who work in mainstream media. You know, and, and they're not honest enough to say, okay, I don't like the guy, but was he good for what, uh, you know, for America? And has Joe Biden been good for America? And no matter how much liberalism got drilled into you at that four year college that virtually everybody in the mainstream media attended for four or six or eight years, uh, you got to go out and say, but what's good for the country? And I wonder how many reporters are doing it because if the mainstream media keeps saying it's all about Trump and ignoring Joe Biden and his continuing slide down mental hill, then, then where are we going to be? No, I, I think that's exactly right. I think that's, that's a totally fair question. If it's, if it's a race about the records of these two, um, you know, I think that kind of speaks for itself. If it's a race about the behavior of these two, that's a different question. Now, Joe Biden is obviously no angel, uh, given the behavior that's being uncovered every day as part of this investigation about you know, his family dealings and all this stuff. Um, but it, that does 
as you mentioned, become a completely different race depending on what's covered and what people are paying attention to. And, and who are we to tell the American people that they're wrong to be concerned about Trump's behavior or whatever? People are going to prioritize what they're going to prioritize. Uh, but at the end of the day, whether it's President Trump or, you know, Nikki Haley who's challenging him or it's Republicans running for governor, senator, House, school board, whatever, um, they need to make clear that they have answers to the problems that people are concerned about. The Democrats are getting horrible, horrible scores on the issues people are most concerned about, which are the economy, immigration, issues like education, things like that. Um, but Republicans, I don't think, have made clear they have an answer. Let's see what it looks like to really fight on controlling spending, getting rid of these regulations, and getting government back uh, where it's supposed to be, which is limited and allowing the free market to flourish. Well, I guess what I am confused a little bit about, Akash, and maybe this just shows I don't have much connection, but you know, when I hear people, and I even have acquaintances and, and folks I run into who say, oh, yeah, but he sends out those mean tweets, and he said this, and he said that. And I said, look, if you hire somebody to do a job, all of us in our lives run into somebody who's the best mechanic in the world, can fix your car in 10 seconds, but you don't like his point of view, or you don't like his haircut, or you don't like, uh, you know, whatever, a hundred other personal things about the guy. And I always ask those people, did you hire him to be president or did you hire him because you like the way he communicates to people or you like the tweets he sends out and things like that? And the second piece about this is Donald Trump became very wealthy. Now, he got a good head start, a little bit of a head start with, from his mom and dad. But I almost wish he'd own that one and come out and say, sure. But how many Americans do you know who could turn 10 million bucks into a few billion dollars? Most of the people I know would admit tomorrow that if mom and dad left them 50 million bucks, they'd probably have uh, a million bucks left in 20 years and, and they wouldn't be any better off, nor would they put it at risk. Whereas, so nobody, I mean, there are people who say, well, Donald Trump hasn't paid his taxes. Really? That'd be news to the IRS. I think they'd be happy to charge him with tax crimes if they could. The fact that they haven't should tell you something. But did he make all his money legally? You know, by selling his name, by selling his hotel brand, by selling all these other things that they like to laugh about, whether it's ties or steaks or whatever else. Oh, how'd the Biden crime family make its way? Well, illegally. <laughs> OK, what you're going to gripe about the guy who got rich by going out and doing legal things and not have any problem at all with a president whose family has made you know, tens of millions of dollars in clearly illegal or unethical, at the very least, activities. No, you're right. And I think the one place where I think he has a vulnerability on the issues and on the economy, uh, it's, again, not a place that Joe Biden is any better, frankly, but it's on government spending. You and I have talked about this before, Lars. That's the one issue that Trump just frankly did not care about. It has a horrendous track record on it. I think yep. if he can come out with yep. some kind of credibility to say that he does care about reigning in government spending, he understands that you know spending is what caused inflation, is what making people's lives harder. I think that would help him a lot. Say what you will about Ambassador Haley. This is like the one issue where, uh, you know, she has sort of credibly attacked him. Now, it hasn't made much of a difference in the overall numbers, uh, but it is an issue that Republican voters care about and increasingly kind of average Americans care about government spending because it has meaningfully impacted their lives the last few years in a way that I don't think it typically does. So I think that's something that President Trump needs to do to separate himself from Joe Biden is build some level of credibility on the issue of government spending. But I think overall, as we discussed, he needs to just get back to talking about the American people instead of talking about Nikki Haley and talking about his lawsuits and cases and things like that. Because, you know, as you and I are talking about, there's plenty of a case to be made against Joe Biden and 
uh, it's there for the taking if you want to well, do it. Uh, and, and look, I agree with you on what you just said, but I'm talking to Akash Chogli from Americans for Prosperity. But let me test that notion. When people say, but what about all the money Trump spent? I said he didn't spend a dime. Congress spends the money, and the con- and the president has the has the authority to do two things: sign the budget or not sign it. And as you recall, he he did refuse to sign a budget, and it shut the government down for about thirty days. And I wondered how long they'd go. I didn't think it would be much more than thirty days. And then the government went right on about its merry way, spending money. So. Presidents don't have much authority to shut down spending. And I don't think Trump was happy at all about that first budget he got from Paul Ryan, which was a ton of new spending, and he objected to it and, and got, no, uh, got no relief. And it was Republicans who did that. Am I wrong? No question about it. Republicans in Congress are just as liable, and it predates President Trump, as you mentioned. They've been horrendous on this issue. They talk the talk and never walk the walk. Um, I Frankly, I don't think President Trump would would disagree with the fact that controlling spending was not a priority for him. He came in with other issues that he was passionate about. Um, but whether that is the case or not, it has to be a priority for it the does. next administration, given what the last five years you know, beyond that have really looked like. Um, we are on, on pace. This Congress right now, if they do this supplemental that they're talking about and all that, right now we are on pace potentially for this Congress, where the Republicans can control the House, spend more this year than Nancy Pelosi spent as Speaker of the House last year. Unbelievable. That is Akash Chogli from Americans for Prosperity. Akash, it's always a pleasure. Back in a moment, we'll get to your calls. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Somewhere around 400 feet off the Just listen for five minutes. You'll feel better. More with Lars Larson right now. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a Wednesday evening. Glad to get your calls, too. And in a moment, I want to talk about some of the fake data that's being used to drive decisions for us that are literally worth trillions of dollars going off into the future. I'll get to that in a moment. First, I want to go to Ray in Alabama. Ray, welcome to the program, and what's on your mind? Hey, Lars, thanks for taking my call. You bet. Earlier in the show, you had mentioned that um, states are making it mandatory to put your birth sex on your driver's license. Yep. And I uh, well, have at least Florida. How- at least Florida is. Florida has said... Number one, you have to put your true biological sex or gender on a driver's license, number one. And number two, you are not allowed to change that or to misrepresent who and what you are. Now, I think that's sensible. Do you? Absolutely. And I have an example of how catastrophic it can be if you don't. You know what, uh, Ray, your phone is breaking up. I certainly hope you can get to a better line. Well... Can we hear you now? Can you hear me? Can you yep. hear me now? Yeah, just go ahead. Okay. But um, he went to the hospital complaining of severe abdominal pains. Yeah. They did it, you know, checked him out, couldn't find anything wrong. Doctor ordered an MRI. Well, the MRI pretty much cured him because it turns out that he was actually a she and oh, she was very pregnant. Yep. 
And now that's that's uh, a great example. Can I give you can I give you a more pedestrian example, Ray? And and I mean, okay. so you've talked about something that probably happens occasionally, you know, probably relatively no. rarely. Let's try this on for size. You've been pulled over by the cops. Oh yes. Okay. And if they decide, I assume you haven't been taken into custody and put in handcuffs in the back of the uh, the black and white, have you? No, I have not. Okay, I haven't either. So um, if you were stopped by the side of the road and uh, and time was not critical, if they decided they needed to search you, but it was a female officer who pulled you over, um, do you imagine that they would call a male officer to do that search of your body? I don't know. Well, in most cases, they'll try to do that. They'll certainly do that at booking, right? And if you go to the airport to fly somewhere, occasionally TSA, you'll walk through the scanner, and they'll say, we need to do a, a hand pat-down of your body. They will routinely right. say, if it's a woman being searched, we bring a woman TSA officer over. Right. If it's a man, uh, or or if the woman, or the person coming through the scanner is a woman, they ro- won't routinely have a male TSA officer search her. Now, that makes sense, doesn't it? It does. Okay, now what do you do then when somebody says uh, they represent that they are female uh, when in fact they are male? Um, And you're going to run into problems with exactly that. And then if they did take you into custody and they decide you need to spend either a few hours or a night or two in jail until the next court date, you know, when you can show up in front of a judge, they would house men with men and women with women. And can you imagine the the kinds of situations you'd end up with where somebody lies about who they really are, says they are female, but in fact they have male body parts, and then they're put into the female's jail. And in fact, Ray, I don't think we've even begun to see the lawsuits that are going to happen. I think what's going to happen is at some point you're going to have a state or a city or a county sued, and here's how the lawsuit's going to go. You have this person who says he's female, but he's actually still male. He uh, he still has all the male body parts. You put him in a jail cell with women. And whether they did it consensually or not, uh, they have sex. And at that point, and we, we see lawsuits like this all the time. Now, the routine ones, uh, you know, and I, I hate to see it happen because I don't like it when law enforcement breaks the law. But if you put uh, female inmates in a prison and then male uh, corrections officers end up having sex with those female, uh, those women, sometimes they get pregnant. Sometimes they bring lawsuits and say, why, to get special you know, privileges, I had to give sex up to a corrections officer. Well, can you imagine what's going to happen the first time you have a male presenting himself as a female who gets put in a women's jail or women's prison? and then assaults another inmate, or where the other inmate just simply says, the state of Alabama required me as a woman to share a cell with a man where the toilet is over in there in the corner of the cell, and that was a hostile environment. I could see the the lawyers going absolutely hog wild with something like that. And all of this is unnecessary if we simply take biological note. There are men and there are women. And there's no in-between. And and I think that's okay. what they need to do. And I think uh, Florida is on, on the right track. The other thing about this, Ray, is that some of how you identify somebody is your picture. It can be your description, why he has brown hair, he's 5 foot 10 inches tall, weighs 185 pounds. 
uh, okay, that's who you are, and you are marked down as male. Have you, if picture ID is the primary ID used by most Americans, many Americans don't have a passport, many Americans don't have any other kind of picture ID, but we've worked picture ID into everything from banking to traveling on an airplane to, for God's sake, checking into a hotel or a motel, and they rely on that. If that document is a lie from the state of Alabama, if the state of Alabama says a man can pretend to be a woman and will not only go along with it, we'll supply him with official government picture ID that tells everybody this man is a woman. Well, that's the state of Alabama lying to everybody who relies on your picture ID as a way of identifying who you are, doesn't it? So long as they, so long as they know about it, yes. Well, but here, here's the thing. I, I, I would imagine. word for it, then. Yeah. I mean, every time I've been to DMV, they have not asked me to drop my trousers to prove who I am. No. Uh, but maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what they have to do. Um, because, because I imagine there probably will be these so-called transgender individuals who are going to say, I'm going to go down and I'm going to apply for a license. I'm going to cut my hair right. I'll comb it right. I'll dress it a certain way. I'll go in and I'll tell them I'm a man when I'm actually a woman or vice versa. And if they decide to commit that kind of fraud and they sign their name on the line, do you know what they've done, Ray? They've they've committed perjury, or it's called false swearing. If you sign a document, a government document, like a voter registration right. uh, card, and you're signing to a lie, then you're guilty of a crime that in most states will send you off to prison for up to five years. So people ought to take note of that, and we're not going to go along with this transgender nonsense very long at all. Ray, thanks very much. I appreciate the call. Hey, i got to tell you about this. You know that we're making, we, the government, is making huge decisions on our behalf about energy, except that now the Epic Times has done a deep dive into the data that backs that up. They say to preserve a livable planet, the Earth can't get warmer than about one and a half degrees Celsius above pre-industrial nations uh, levels. That's what the United Nations has said. The problem, number one, a lot of climate scientists are now finally getting honest about this. And they're saying the temperature readings are faulty and that trillions of dollars that's pouring in are based on a problem that doesn't exist. More than 90%, this is from Epic Times, more than 90% of NOAA's temperature monitoring stations have a heat bias. According to Anthony Watts, you've heard him on the show before, you can find his website at whatsupwiththat.com. About 96% of their stations still feel to me, fail to meet their own standards when it comes to measuring station, uh, the temperature at places within what are called urban heat islands. Now, that deserves some explanation. If you live in a city, when they first put that National Weather Service measuring station there, they said this is a little weather station out in the middle of a cow pasture somewhere. And then a city grew up around that station. You pour that concrete and you lay that asphalt and the temperature changes, not because it's warmer, but because of what they call the heat island effect. Coming up in a moment are Joe Biden's ESG policies putting American agriculture in danger. We'll dig into that next. We all...
reminder, you are in control. Our Constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. And I love those sound bites from Ronald Reagan. It's one of the reasons we run them. And what he talks about is the people tell the government what to do and not the other way around. Except that lately, especially lately under Joe Biden, we've seen government agencies trying to strip away your stove, your refrigerator, your air conditioner, your car, your light bulbs. But now it may actually be going literally to the food on your plate. And it's bad enough when the government does it. But when it comes to private industry doing it at the behest of people in government, then I think it gets even worse. Uh, Jonathan Isaac is CEO and founder of the American Energy Institute. Jonathan, welcome back. It's great to be on. So I, I, we've spent some time on this show, uh, you and I and others, uh, talking about ESG, environmental and social governance, where companies don't try to make the greatest amount of profit they can legally make, but they try to somehow say, these are the important things, and so we're going we're gonna to twist the way we do business so that we meet those goals, whether they make more money or not. And I think that's dangerous. I think ESG is an incredibly bad idea. How does it apply to American agriculture? Well, this is the big threat. It's a politicization of capital, and you've got banks. Uh, and just in the last couple of days, 12 agriculture commissioners from different states sent letters to six different banks asking about their ESG policies and how they're committing you know, lawfare against responsible farmers and ag producers in this country. And what they're doing is they're denying access to capital if they don't bend the knee to ESG. So you don't get a bank loan to buy your John Deere tractor unless it's an electric John Deere tractor. Or if you can't get an electric one, then, you know, you've got to reduce the use of fertilizer, which is basically reducing your output, reducing your crop production. Uh, This has been done in other countries around the world, so it's not the first place, but these globalist elites like John Kerry telling us we got to drink less coffee, we got to eat less meat, or really no meat at all, and have bugs instead. Uh, it, it's just it's it's unbelievable. I live a high carbon lifestyle. I think the rest of the world <laughs> so do too. It's truly <laughs> it's truly where you have economic prosperity and environmental leadership. I mean, you and me both, and Jonathan, not just reduce coffee. When what was it? The folks at WEF this evil organization run by Klaus Schwab, who are saying you should limit yourself to two or three cups of coffee a year, not a week, not a day. I mean, I'd be done. I'd be done with my year's consumption on January one, about nine o'clock in the morning. I'd be I'd be all I'd have consumed my entire annual if they had their way. But their idea is that we should all diminish our lifestyles dramatically. Uh, turn off the heat, turn off the air conditioning, uh, and eat eat bugs? Is this, this is where they want to drive us? They really do, and they recognize they can't get laws passed to do this, although the bureaucratic red tape is crushing American energy producers and food producers. They found another way, and it's get companies like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street, the three largest financial institutions in the world that own pieces of Chase Bank and Wells Fargo and these other financial institutions, and they're, they're forcing their ideology, ideology onto these companies. They're all part of 
these groups called the Net Zero Asset Managers Initiative or the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, which is a Michael Bloomberg founded and funded organization. The, the asset managers one is part of the UN. And we've seen just in the last few days how evil the UN is. They're actually employing terrorists in the Middle East. Yep, They're funding them. In, in, in the U.S., we have got to get out of the U.N. We've got to get out of the World Economic Forum because this communism that they're trying to force down our throats in, the, in higher expense, more expensive energy and less food that's going to cost more money for us to, to buy as, as purchasers. I'm talking this to Jason, Jason Isaac from American, uh, the American Energy Institute. And Jason, this almost seems like American reverse. I remember I re- I'm a nerd, so I read a lot of geeky stuff. But but I remember when they said we introduced fertilizer and the way a fertilizer salesman way back in the day would do it is he'd, he'd pull into Nebraska where my mom grew up or Iowa or someplace like that. And if nobody wanted to buy his stuff, he'd go to a farmer and he'd say, hey, I'll tell you what, let me try this out on 10 acres of your land. And he'd usually pick somebody where everybody in town was driving by and he'd put fertilizer on 10 of the guy's 50 acres or 100 acres, whatever it is. And 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 later on that year, you'd have all this, you know, whether it was wheat, whether it was corn or anything else, this gigantic difference from everybody else's, you know, chunk of land in in how much uh, produce you could produce. And all of a sudden, you got everybody asking Farmer John, "Hey, how come that corn is doing so well on that ten acres?" You go, "Well, I put fertilizer on it. Well, I want to buy some of that." And and it was a great idea. And there's nothing wrong with it. So how do they? I mean. Are, are they really literally going to simply use these market manipulations to say, well, you'd like to grow corn, but we'd like you to grow soybeans. Uh, and and we, and if you don't, then we're not going to give you the loans. Yeah, it's absolute market manipulation. And they're doing it through these global entities. You'll look at what happened in Sri Lanka. This country was experiencing Disaster. prosperity for the first time ever. They were exporting tea. They were exporting rice. And in 2019, someone ran as the first ever net zero candidate on the face of the earth, and he got elected. And in 2020, he said no more use of nitrogen-based fertilizers. We're not going to import them. We're not going to use them. They are banned. This country had the highest ESG rating of countries on the planet, and in one year's time, food production down 40%, cost up 80%. And today, nine in 10 families in Sri Lanka suffer from hunger every single day. The people overran his palace a couple of years ago, and he fled on a military cargo jet powered by fossil fuels. <laughs> and he didn't, go, he didn't go to Malawi, which, you know, Malawi and Ethiopia, those countries are at net zero. You would think he would go there where people die of you know, contaminated water because they don't have access to energy. No, he went to Singapore, the highest per capita CO2 emissions on the place of the earth. They have clean air, clean water. We need countries to be wealthy like America, like Singapore. And in return, we get clean air and clean water and affordable, reliable energy. I'm talking to Jonathan Isaac. So, Jonathan, i got less than a minute left. How do we fight back when it's not the government doing it where we can vote differently? How do we fight back when it's private institutions? Well, and I think these agriculture commissioners are doing exactly what they're doing. And in Texas, I wrote the very first bill that was passed in 2021. I wrote it in 2020. And it it basically says if you boycott, if you're a financial institution, and you boycott, divest, or sanction. And that's what they're doing is they're sanctioning. They're going to these companies and saying, well, yeah, we'll loan you or going to these farmers and saying, we'll loan you money. 
if you bend the knee. Well, we passed a bill in Texas. It was the first one of its kind in the country. It says if you boycott, divest, or sanction fossil fuels, then you can no longer do business with the state of Texas. That model policy and others pushing back has been adopted now in nearly two dozen states. It actually passed in Arizona, but the governor vetoed it. So we've got work to do at the local level. Cities can say, you know what, we're not going to buy electric vehicles if they're made with child and slave labor. We're not going to boycott fossil fuels and fertilizer. We're going to protect our farming and agriculture and energy producers in this country because we produce food. And- the Lars Larson Show. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. A secure border, in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. That is Vice President Kamala Harris. And you might remember that just a few months into Joe Biden's torturous stay at the White House, that Kamala Harris was named by Joe Biden as the border czar. And then she steadfastly avoided even going to the border to see it with her own eyes. And she's done absolutely nothing about the problem at America's southern border. And now it's become a crisis. Actually, I think it was a crisis within months of Joe Biden arriving. And I'd give you the numbers to actually prove that. But to have Vice President Kamala Harris saying we have a secure border because you have to have a secure border. It's a bit like the soundbite I played you a couple of days ago where Joe Biden, about 15 years ago, was at a town hall meeting back when he was a senator, and he told people, you can't have an actual country on planet Earth unless you have secure borders. And that if he were put in charge, remember, this was back when he was in the Senate, just beginning his Biden crime family operations that have made him so many millions of dollars in dealing with foreign countries, But he said, you have to make sure. And if I were put in charge, I'd make the border patrol much bigger. I'd lock down that border tight. Except that's not what he did. The very first things he did when he took office a little bit over three years ago, among other things, he signed executive orders to revoke most of what Donald Trump had done. The stay in Mexico policy for people seeking asylum or refugee status and Title 42. All of those things Joe Biden reversed with executive orders. And then he puts Kamala Harris, who I think Joe Biden knew that Kamala Harris was not exactly the sharpest tool in the shed and that she wasn't going to get anything done. In fact, I think the reason he did what he did is he said, I don't want to solve this problem. I actually want to throw the border wide open. And none of us, none of us could have imagined. I mean, if I told you in the summer of 2020, six months before the election, if I had forecast, folks, by the time we get a couple of years into Joe Biden in office, we're going to have 300,000 people a month. We're going to have 10,000 people a day coming across the border. You would have told me that I was absolutely crazy. Well, guess what? It's not crazy. It's reality right now. We now have 
about 10,000 people a day coming illegally into America, most of them over our southern border. And finally, the Republicans appear to have grown a backbone. They have now introduced the articles of impeachment to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And I thought that while there are some things that I don't necessarily agree with, with Marjorie Taylor Greene, I thought she really summed it up well, because there are two possible avenues, and I want to let her lay it out the way she did in Congress the other day. Take a listen to what she's saying to members of the Biden administration, that they have a choice. Either admit this is your conscious policy or admit that Mayorkas is breaking the law. If you admit it's your policy, you've all got to own it. If you say that Mayorkas is breaking the law, then he richly deserves to be impeached by the United States Congress. Listen to this. You have to tell the American people these are the policies and this is the results that you bring to America. Or you could admit that Secretary Mayorkas has broken federal law and he is the one to blame for all of this horror, crime, death, murder, and over 1.8 million gotaways in our country. Democrats get to choose. And you're also in an election year. So are you going to be telling your constituents and your voters that these are the policies and these are the results that you're running for re-election on? Time is I hope not. I hope not, too. But I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, if Joe Biden disagreed with the policies of his Homeland Security Secretary, he's got two clear choices or whoever it is that's calling the shots for Joe Biden, because an awful lot of us suspect uh, some of us know that it's not Joe Biden running the country. It's actually Barack Obama communicating to Obama through to uh, to Biden uh, through Obama's old staff members, most of whom are now working at the White House and working for Joe Biden. They're calling the shots. Joe gets ice cream every afternoon. But then when you go to the White House briefing room and you find this $200,000 a year affirmative action hire in Corinne Jean-Pierre, and who does she blame for the mess on America's border? Listen to this. For years, they have refused to heed the president's request for action on much-needed funding for border security. Now, let me tell you why I know that's a lie. Donald Trump was not given anything extra to secure America's border during his four years in office. That's a fact. You know that the Congress said, we're not going to give you anything. So what happened? He used the resources he had at his fingertips, and he said, I'm going to use the resources I already have. And during his four years, we brought about, he brought about the lowest level of illegal entry to the United States in modern American history with the resources he had. Joe Biden has those same resources available to him. And what has he done? He's done exactly the opposite to the point where we've had 10 million illegal aliens, 8.5 million of them directly encountered by Customs and Border Protection, 1.8 million gotaways, and God knows how many other people who weren't encountered by the Border Patrol or were gotaways but simply got in without the Border Patrol even realizing they were here, but north of 10 million people. So now they want to impeach Mayorkas, and they should. They should have done it a long time ago. And what are the Democrats saying about this? Well, they got to stand up for Mayorkas. They've got to say, no, everything he's doing is right. Listen to Democrat member of Congress Hakeem Jeffries talking about the prospect of impeaching Mayorkas. Extreme agro Republicans are taking an alleged policy dispute and using that to justify 
a partisan political stunt in trying to impeach Secretary Mayorkas. No reasonable person in the United States of America believes that Secretary Mayorkas is flouting the law and intentionally allowing people to stream into this country and or traffic fentanyl. Now, that's Democrat member of Congress, Hakeem Jeffries. I mean, he's one of the most prominent Democrats out there. And he's saying no reasonable person would say he's doing this on purpose. Really? If that's the case, why is it that when Texas put up razor wire on the border and at least impeded some of the illegals from coming in, that one of the first things the Biden administration did was they said, well, we'll go to the Supreme Court and we'll get permission to cut that wire and let the illegals in. If it's if they're not doing it on purpose, why did they get the Supreme Court to sign off on cutting the razor wire? Now listen to this. It is my testimony that the border is secure. The president has worked very, very hard to implement a strategy when it comes to the border that is humane, safe, and, and has orderly enforcement. Things are going at the border, sir. Much better, than, much, much better than you all expected. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. This is Joe Biden laughing at a problem that is crippling big American cities. This is Joe Biden laughing at a problem that involves criminal illegal aliens coming into our country, trafficking children, bringing fentanyl, and wrecking American cities. And what does silly Joe do? He laughs. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. To the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'll get back to your phone calls shortly at 866 Hey Lars. And if you're a naysayer, we always put naysayers straight to the head of the line. We have for a quarter century, always will, at 866 439 5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our daily X poll. You'll find that on X, formerly Twitter at Lars Larson Show, and on our website at LarsLarson.com. I saw a post on Instagram the other day, and I thought, I've got to talk to this guy, Dr. Austin Lake. He's a physiotherapist, uh, postdoctoral board certification in functional medicine, and creator of the Active Life Program. Dr. Lake, welcome to the program for the first time. How are you? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. And you know, when I saw that, what struck me most, uh, I'm a Christian, so I've got a dog in the fight, uh, and you're a Christian as well. <laughs> Is it possible to be a Christian and live by your faith and actually be a medical doctor in America these days? Well, you know, I, I can't necessarily speak for, for everybody, but um, for me, it was, it was hard not to um, see the connection between, between a creator and, and science. And I've always said that I think that we use science in an attempt to try to explain how God is operating. And I, I think so often we want to have this reductionist mentality where we try to reduce it down to the to the single atom and, and molecule, but really we can't ever fully account for the consciousness, you know, aspect of what it means to be alive on this on this earth. And so, for me, it was very difficult to separate the two. And occasionally, that comes up in your interactions between you and patients. Would you mind describing some of that? Yeah, I mean, so um, 
you know, a more recent incident that I have was just, I, I made a post just talking about how I feel like, you know, God created our bodies and, and he wants us to use our bodies to honor, um, honor him essentially, and to glorify him and, and that our bodies are temples for the Holy Spirit. And I'm not a pastor. And so I can't fully speak on the depths of all what that means, but I do know that the, that the Bible talks a lot about how it's important to, to care for our bodies. And so I put out a post about that and I already had an existing client that I was working with and she had, you know, she follows me on social media and she, she read my post and she did not particularly feel um, where she said she felt unsafe by that comment. And so um, it, it kind of <laughs> led to her separating from me and, and, and it was, it's okay because, you know, I want to, I want to speak what I feel is true and I, I can't separate those, those two conversations. How did she go on? And I understand you're not violating HIPAA. You're just telling us a patient said something, but how is it, did she expand on how it made her feel unsafe to have this doctor who believes in, 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 in God? I think for her, you know, she even claims to be uh, a Christian, and so it wasn't necessarily, and, and, and those are her claims, but I think I have some, some opinions on that, but um, uh, for her, it was, she didn't want to feel pressured to live up to a particular standard, and um, wanted to basically kind of do what she felt was right and find her own truth, and so um, she felt that because of my belief and what I, what I felt um, about that particular scripture and about her bodies, honestly, um, she felt that she could no longer trust my opinion. I'd like to know, you know, and, and that, that seems kind of strange to me, but then if she wants to find her own truth, say, well, I can figure all this out on my own. Uh, there are plenty of people out there who believe that. I don't happen to believe that. I think I know where I get my truth, and that's from the book. And I know that's true, mm. and everything else is suspect. You know, in God we trust, sure. and everybody else needs picture ID or, or words to that effect. <laughs> but but tell me this, I mean, because the last few years have have really shaken a lot of Americans' faith in medicine, because we feel like we've been lied to, we've been deceived. I'll tell you personally, because I've told my audience before, I didn't take the mRNA jab. And the more I learn yeah. about it, the more I'm, I'm happy with that decision and don't regret it. Absolutely. And I feel like, in fact, there's just a new, actually a formal study out from the British Medical Journal, uh, published by a couple of guys, one's from Yale, which is, leaves me a little suspect, but, but he says, you know, they created <laughs> chaos because the medical system basically lied to people, deceived people, and held back information. Um, and I'm wondering what your take is on that as we go forward with a lot of, of people, probably worldwide, but it's certainly here in the United States, who don't trust medicine very much because of that experience. Yeah, and, and honestly, um, from my perspective, I think that's, that's a good thing um, to a certain extent. Uh, we, I think we have to appreciate the medical system for what it's good at. And it, uh, the medical system is great at emergency, medi um, emergency medication, emergency management. Um, you get in a car accident, they'll save your life. Amazing at surgeries, and we're probably we're the most developed nation in the world on healthcare. But when it comes to uh, chronic disease management, we're actually ranked, I think, somewhere in the 30s, like 32nd, as far as our quality of care. And so you can start to see that this is a very um, uh, money-driven system, and and we're good at some things, but we're not good at everything. And so I do think it's good for people to question um, more. And science, this is where it really triggered me specifically during. COVID was um, when all this was happening, you know, March of 2020, and people were saying, I trust the science, but yet, you know, we weren't allowed to ask questions. And that's exactly what science is. It's like, you, you got to question things, got to put out a hypothesis and test it to make sure it holds, it holds steadfast. And it was just so ironic to me that we were not allowed to question things. And we had to just go with this narrative that everything was safe, and it was all, you know, going to work out in your favor and just get the get the jab and you'll be safe and protected. And as we've seen with the literature, that just hasn't been shown to be true. And so I think it is good for people to question their doctors. And if, if they're a good provider, um, they should be able to um, withstand the, the questioning. 
And if they don't know the answer, then they, we need to go and dig a little bit deeper for ourselves and figure out what the answer is. But, but they don't like to do that, do they, in medicine? Because, I mean, there are all those jokes about how, you know, that, <laughs> because, because doctor, you know, God doesn't think he's a doctor, you know, but doctors think they're God. And that when you ask them a question, well, if I give you the answer, it's the only answer available. You should just take it and accept it, right? And, and that's, that's, again, this is where, this is my opinion on the matter. Um, but if you look at, if you go back about 100 years, you start seeing what happened to our, 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 our medical system, really. What happened was a huge push from the Flexner Report, which was primarily funded by some people that are, you can look them up, and they're you know, Rockefellers and people like that. And, and what you started to notice was there was a huge push for use of petroleum products because that benefited that family. And, and it was really starting to influence medicine because they're realizing they can synthesize um, certain things to make compounds to actually make pharmaceuticals. And so when you had that push, they started to change then the curriculum from the top down so that, you know, anything that was not based in pharmace- uh, pharmacia, it was considered quackery. And they started to push that, that, that mindset so that doctors who were being trained in that and, you know, they were, they were pushing this idea that if, if I don't know it, then nobody else does. And that's a really dangerous position to be in from my perspective because you start thinking you are God, and that's, that's just never the case. Hey, speaking of that, I'm talking to Dr. Austin Lake. In fact, uh, uh, Dr. Lake, where's the best place for people to find you? Because they're going to hear this and want to know. And and we're planning to have you back, but our time is short today. But where can they best find you? Yeah, they can find me on social media, just uh, Dr. Austin Lake. Um, You can also go to theactivelifeprogram.com, and you can find my webpage there. Um, But that's probably the best place to find me. Okay. And the other thing about playing God. We've now got doctors who are making literally billions of dollars last year and more billions this year by saying, why, we can change you from a boy to a girl and a girl to a boy. And not adults, but children. I want your take on that, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, as a father of three kids, um, young little kids, I, I, would, I don't trust them to um, do a lot of things. You know, like I tell my wife all the time, like, we have really smart children. Um, but they, they're still children. They're not wise. They're not adults. They don't have the capacity to fully make informed decisions that will affect their, the rest of their life. So I think what, what a lot of the agenda is pushing now is leaving up the children to decide and let them you know, decide who they are. And I just think that's ridiculous. And then for any kind of medical professional to then perf- perform, whether it's a hormonal um, operation or a hormonal-based uh, therapy or operation, um, I really, I just don't know how we've gotten to that point in our society where that's um, even acceptable or even being discussed. So that, that would be my opinion on it. Well, we've certainly talked about it on this show because I've asked, how can you get truly informed consent? I mean, informed consent has been a question for a long time. Can somebody who's on sure. narcotics give you informed consent? Can somebody who's 13 years old and says, I want to be a boy or I want to be a girl, can they give you informed consent at that age and I kind of wonder what the medical malpractice people are going to say about that. Dr. Lake, it's a pleasure. We'll have you back. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. That is Dr. Austin Lake, and we'll put the contact information up at our website. But I just thought it'd be interesting to call him up and talk to him. He seems like a, a, a cut from a different piece of cloth than most of medical professionals these days. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. We've always done it. We always will. You can also vote in our poll on X. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show. And you can check out our Instagram feed. All the other social media we put up, every single interview on the program is free of charge. You'll find it at LarsLarson.com.
The Lars Larson Show. Cuddlers and co-workers. He does the work so you don't have to. Bringing the political heat. He's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. I remember in 2008 when a lot of us expressed frustration and fear that we were about to elect a president in Barack Obama who was way too cozy with convicted terrorists like William Ayers and uh, Bernadine Dorn and people like that. And then we said, as president, he was way too friendly with the mad mullahs of Tehran and, uh, and other Muslim groups around the world. And now, now we've got real trouble in the Middle East. We have American service members murdered in terrorist attacks. We have American shipping under fire. We even have American military ships under fire. And then we have a slaughter in Israel on October the 7th. More than a thousand people dying, including Americans. People taken hostage, including Americans. And who funded all of this? Well, Turns out that Joe Biden gave over a billion dollars in so-called aid to so-called Palestine. And the guy who knows the numbers best is Adam Andrzejewski, uh, the CEO and founder of OpenTheBooks.com. How you doing, Adam? Well, thanks for having me on, Lars. It's great to be back. Is it fair, and thank you for that, but is it fair to say that the Biden administration has shoveled a billion dollars into the hands of the so-called Palestinians? Yeah, Trump froze that aid for the first time in the 71 history of that Palestinian aid subsidy. It had been around since 1948. Trump put it on the table as a negotiating chip, and he found that the Palestinian Authority wasn't an honest broker in the peace process with Israel. Israel wanted peace, as they always do, and the Palestinian Authority, the Palestine Liberation Organization, Trump didn't feel that they were honest brokers. Uh, So he cut the subsidy. And they went crazy. They said they had an international right to U.S. taxpayer money, for example. <laughs> <laughs> but here's what happened. In the two and a half from August of 2018, since, and then Biden restarted that aid in April of 2021. So there's a two and a half year period there. Middle East didn't go up in flames. For, by the standards of the Middle East, Lars, it was relatively peaceful. It On was. the worst week, you had 400 rockets shot off from Gaza and the West Bank at Israel. But as soon as Biden uh, restarted that aid, four weeks later, you had 4,000 rockets being shot at Israel. The only thing that our adversaries around the world understand is strength. Strength and money and power. And wasn't right. part of the problem with, with, that Trump had with the funding that the PLO in particular, not Hamas, but the PLO, would literally tell the so-called Palestinians, the ones who live on the West Bank of the Jordan River, in what is still, by law, the state of Israel, that when one of them would go jihadi and put on a suicide vest or stab a bunch of people at a bus stop, that the Palestinian, uh, the PLO or the PLA would actually give a subsidy to their their surviving family, saying, you have a martyr, uh, he went out and martyred himself, and now you get a pension for the rest of your life. And a lot of it, if not all of it, paid for by American taxpayers, correct? 
So here's what's going on. You know, as you know, Lars, I live in Illinois. It is the Super Bowl of corruption, and we have a lot of pay for play amongst our politicians. Yes, but what you, you just described <laughs> is pay for slay. It's murder for hire. It makes Illinois politicians look like a bunch of pikers. Incredibly, codified into Palestinian law is this concept of where they pay lifetime pensions to the family members of the dead terrorist. And so you've got 500 employees of the Palestinian Authority engaged in the pension department over there. It's 10% of the, of the Palestinian Authority's entire budget goes on these pensions to families of the dead terrorists, um, and it's, it's codified into Palestinian law. So Trump saw that. He zeroed them out. And then Joe decided to reinvigorate it. So you've got U.S. taxpayer money going through the U.N. That's a lot of it right there, isn't it? Yeah, and now, and, and look, um, Obama and President Biden, they should have known better. For a long period of time, there's been oversights and intelligence reports that this this Palestinian aid flowing through this United Nations fund, it's called UNRWA for short, has been co-opted by Hamas, the Islamic Jihad, and other terrorist organizations. So there's new reporting this week from Israeli intelligence that caused the Biden administration finally to follow Trump's lead and freeze the aid. And here's what they found. They found that half, one out of every two, of the 12,000 U.N. employees in Gaza have close family members in a militant Islamic organization. And 10% of them, 10% of the employees themselves have very close ties to those organizations. Then they found 13 employees of the UN aid agency that actually participated in the organizing, and actually they were in the waves of Hamas as they flooded into Israel on the deadliest day since the Holocaust. There was actually two employees of the UN aid agency that kidnapped Israelis. All of this, and didn't they also supply some weapons as well? I recall reading about rocket-propelled grenades, RPGs, that were supplied by some of the members of UNRWA? Yeah, they were involved in the logistics, the planning, and, and also in terms of weapons procurement. And this goes back for years. So the, the United Nations was forced to acknowledge when their schools were inspected in 2014 – at two of their schools, they actually found Hamas missiles being stored. Uh, the New Republic, which is a left-leaning publication, said yep. that this U.N. aid agency is effectively an arm and a branch of Hamas. So there was no secrets here. In March of 2023, you had an organization that actually did a 100-page oversight report tying the U.N. aid organization directly to Hamas, on a myriad of different things, including the teachings in the schools. At this UN aid agency schools in Gaza, they actually teach that it is an obligation of Muslims to try to kill and maim the Jewish people. Unbelievable. And by the way, where this gets into foreign policy, Trump managed to be very successful with three new peace deals that were negotiated. And they were negotiated by ignoring that gas bag John Kerry, who said, well, if you want any kind of peace deal, you have to involve the Palestinians. And Trump didn't think he needed them, and they weren't playing ball anyway, so he left them out and got three deals. All the previous presidents, both Republican and Democrat, who'd gone by that kind of rule. Well, the Palestinians always have to have their say in any peace process, got nothing done. 
And Trump comes in and says, hey, if they don't want to take part in this, they don't have to, but we'll go ahead without them. He's the guy who actually got the three deals. And now Joe Joe Biden is on the verge of a war in the Middle East because of the policies he's been following. Exactly. And it gets a little worse, as it always does. There's new reporting as of yesterday from Fox News, and the State Department now admits this. Uh, that since October 7th, there's been another $121 million of U.S. taxpayer money that has flowed into this U.N. Palestinian aid agency. So it's even worse. The Biden administration, even after the attack, they didn't pull funding. They ramped it up. And by the way, Adam, who paid for Hamas headquarters in Qatar, where the leadership of Hamas can safely sit and enjoy themselves? Well, I don't know the answer, but I'm just going to guess. Okay. Is it you and I, Lars? It, it is. Uh, the United States <laughs> yeah. helped to subsidize their, their nice little headquarters in Qatar. And, and why the United States taxpayers should be paying the bill <laughs> for a terrorist organization whose leaders sit some distance away and simply direct the deadly activities of their foot soldiers on the ground, some of whom are also funded by the U.S. taxpayer. That's Adam Andrzejewski. You can find all of the dirt that he digs up. He puts it out there in front of God and everybody. You'll find it at OpenTheBooks.com. He is the CEO and founder of Open the Books, and his name is Adam Andrzejewski. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our poll on X. It's also on LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can check out my Instagram feed. And, yes, you'll find out I have a face for radio. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. drawn in the sand. He's the one that crosses it. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Brand new study out suggests that an awful lot of Americans were right. If you suspected during the pandemic that you weren't being communicated to by the federal government, by the state government, or by the local government, that you were absolutely right. And where do I get the proof of that? There's a brand new study out it comes from Duke University, couple of professors, Gavin Yamney and Drexel University professor Anna Rue, who say the pandemic failures began at the top with poor communication from the federal government that demonstrated a surprising inability to generate reliable information. No kidding. Communicate it in a timely and consistent manner and then translate it into sound policy. I love the quotes. This study was actually published this week in the British Medical Journal. It blames the U.S.'s division of state and federal government. What they, they said meant that Americans' experience with the pandemic depended on what zip code you lived in. Actually, I like our federal system of government, the one where the federal government has certain enumerated powers, which they're always going outside of, and then all of the rest of the authority goes to the states and to individual citizens. But still in all, this is amazing. In fact, one of the reviews of this study said poor communication and a refusal to adapt to evolving scientific evidence 
you know, that, that you've got to do that. Led to unnecessary school closures, the restriction of outdoor activity during the COVID outbreak, contributing to what the study called pandemic chaos that plagued the country for more than two years. Brand new study out. I thought it was fascinating. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And now too many schools around America have decided we shouldn't just give school lunches to the poor kids, the ones that are on public assistance or in families that are on public assistance. Why, we should just feed all of the kids breakfast and lunch so that the government will provide your values, your gender ideology, they'll provide your education and indoctrination, and they'll feed you breakfast and lunch. And where are parents in all this? I think parents are getting cut out of the equation by the actions of these governments that have decided to do that. John, welcome to the program. I take it that's what you called in about. Yes, sir. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can. What do you think of the idea of the schools, the government-run schools, telling your kids, you don't get breakfast and lunch from mom and dad, you get it from the government? Well, I'm in the school district system for lunches, and I want to let you know in Washington State, at least in our district, they not only have breakfast and lunch, they also provide dinner, uh, child care for the ones that have babies, and uh, they said they have dinner, and then... uh, in the last year, they've been changing the menu to where the menu is now, instead of actual protein, they're giving them beans, cabanzo beans or soybeans and rice. That's their protein. It keeps shifting away from what you would call a traditional meal and more towards the vegan lifestyle. And so in other words, it's one more opportunity for them to indoctrinate your kids. Exactly correct. And it's and it's three, three meals a day and... Uh, even even before COVID, the COVID just really pushed it on out to where, oh, well, we have to feed the poor children no matter what. I got to ask you, it doesn't sound like you're okay. I, you know I'm not okay with that, but what do, you, what do you think of that? Should parents push back? I think it's a ridiculous idea. I think parents should push back and not only ask, what did you learn in school today? What did you eat? And was it something that you wanted? Because they're, they're pushing this out, and they, they can't keep up with the meals now. And the administrators that are in charge of the system right now weren't even in the system 10 years ago. And now they're in charge, and they have, they have no touch of reality of what it takes for a kid to eat or what's healthy for a kid to eat. So the kids are taking and they're eating what they want, and they're throwing everything else away. The schools I'm working at, the kids are throwing away 50% of the food that they were served. And they're being pushed out, meals that they won't eat. And the, the local schools are being told, you will serve that. And the only thing we can think of is that they're serving it because they're using that as their count. Yeah, we, we served 50 healthy meals today. Well, no, you didn't. You threw away 45 healthy meals today. Yep. But they're getting, because, but they're because getting money John, back because they, quote, unquote, served them. John, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, and I would imagine we do this with my granddaughter, we say, you're going to finish that salad. The salad's good. It's not huge. And, and we'd like you to finish the salad along with everything else on your plate. And my granddaughter has already been introduced to the concept I knew as a kid, which was when you get old enough to put the food on your plate, take all you want, eat all you take. So there was no waste because my parents would say, you decided to pile that plate up with spaghetti, you finish it. And what you figured out as a kid was you'd say, you can go back for seconds or thirds or fourths or whatever you want, 
But if you decide to pile a plate full of something because it looked really good when you were dishing it up or you were playing games when you were dishing it up, you're going to end up eating that. So you learn to you know finish your plate, clean your plate, eat all the basic food groups, which parents will insist on. And it sounds like the schools say, we're going to slop it on your plate. And then if you decide to throw away half of it, maybe the healthy half, maybe the unhealthy half, um, then that's okay. That's that's learning bad eating habits, isn't it? Yeah, and Lars, if there's one more thing I think everybody can relate to, when there's a pool vehicle, if there's anything that people get for free and they don't pay for it, they don't respect it. And so that, that's what's happening here as well. The kids just don't respect it at all, and they don't respect the servers, and they don't respect the teachers because everything just comes to them for free with no, no consequence at all. So you're you're right, and, and, and John, and it's, not, and it's not just poor families; it's rich families that know that they're just gaming the system, and they're 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 not, you know, they're they're, they're not paying off their lunch bills because they know the school's going to feed them anyway. You know, it's funny, John. I I read this story, and I've I've referenced it, but it's probably been ten years since I did. But I read this story um, years ago, and it was about a guy who ran a small manufacturing plant. I think he was in the Midwest, and he tried to be just the best boss you could ever have. He paid his employees well. Uh, he, he built a swimming pool next to the plant because apparently it was, it was a tough physical job and it was hot in the plant. And he said, you know, when, when there's time for a break, he held barbecues for his employees. He did a lot of things like that. And then one day, and this, this will tell you how long ago this was. Remember the soda machines where you'd put in the money and a cup would drop down and then the soda would oh, yeah. be squirted? Okay. Oh, yeah. So he had a couple of these put in the plant, and he's walking around the plant one day, and, and so the employees would fill a cup of soda and then get busy, and they'd just throw it away. So he said, put a nickel, make it a nickel for a cup of soda, which even then was a, a good deal. And uh, you know what happened to all the waste? It went away. Because even no. if you're only paying, even today, uh, today the nickel is really inconsequential, but even then it wasn't much, and his employees all put a nickel in, got a cup of soda, and they drank it. And they didn't waste much of it uh, because they had paid something for it. And I think you're absolutely right to that point that, you know, if you tell the kids, hey, you're getting the food for free, anything you get for free in your mind has a value of exactly zero. And, John, I think you're absolutely right about this. This nonsense of feeding kids breakfast, lunch, and now sometimes even dinner, it is absolutely un-American. It is indoctrinating your kids. It's bad for America, and it needs to stop. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Serving in Afghanistan, 